Hey church, obviously not ideal circumstances. We would love to be gathered together, worshipping together, but this is the best that we can do in this current uh, climate and it's only for one Sunday and so uh, we'll make do. Uh, but I also just want to say that if you are finding yourself struggling, having any difficulty, please reach out. Uh, this is something that is really important. We are here for you as a church family. You can use the app, you can text myself, Beck or any of the church family, your lift group leaders, your team leaders, there are people here uh, that want to support and encourage you uh, in this season if you are struggling with it and uh, wanting to provide support in whatever way that we can. Uh, so please reach out if you need to. Um, we're going to continue Sorry, we're going to continue our Ephesians series and um, I'm going to try to condense things a little bit because I understand that over a video this might not be um, the most engaging um, compared to a Sunday morning, uh, but we'll see how we go. Hey, uh, we're looking at Ephesians 5 verse 15 and I'm going to read out uh, the first few verses. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Uh, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul says, be very careful then. Um, then being what? Then being, he's outlined that there's this old humanity and new humanity. And this is something that is actually our responsibility. The Greek words for be very careful then how you live um, has this picture of as you consider your everyday life, ensure that you are going straight. <laughs> the, the connotation of this is that God has laid out uh, a way for us to live and is our duty. It is our responsibility to ensure that we are staying to that path. And then from there, Paul goes on to outline three different contrasts to help us to understand how we are meant to do that. Um, these are unwise versus wise foolish versus discerning or understanding and thirdly he says don't get drunk on wine but instead be filled with the spirit these three are linked to these three and i'm going to try to explain it um to you obviously the first one is wise and unwise and this is something that is very key in the bible we have a whole book dedicated to wisdom it's called the book of proverbs and proverbs makes it very clear that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom what is wisdom? The word wisdom has the meaning of being skilled, of being learned, and having the ability to form the best plans and then being able to execute it. So because of your skill and your knowledge and your learning, you're able to make really great plans and you're able to execute those plans. That's what wisdom actually means. Wisdom is highly, highly practical. And so Paul, uh, uh, Paul draws on this idea of wisdom, which brings us to understanding or, or, or remembering about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we come to God, we see that He's sovereign, we see that He knows everything, and we learn from Him, we gain understanding from Him, which then enables us to make the best plans and to execute them. And then He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's saying that with wisdom, we are able to make the most of our life. We are able to seize opportunities that comes our way. That's the importance of wisdom. It's something that we need to ensure that we hold on to and value in our lives. 
The second contrast, he says, is do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That one's a bit more straightforward. When we follow God's will, we are being discerning and understanding if we uh, 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 go away from God's will, if we deviate from God's uh, uh, ways and His wisdom, uh, that's what the Bible describes as being foolish. And so those are, is very much linked to wisdom, uh, to wise and unwise, foolish and understanding, very much linked. But then there's this third contrast, which is really interesting. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery simply means excess, going uh, over the top in order to feel, in order to experience something, um, and always has to do with sinful actions. Uh, and so he said, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a very uh, interesting contrast, and at first glance, many of us can get caught in this whole idea of do not get drunk on wine, but get drunk on the Holy Spirit. And, and, and honestly, I have met some Christians whose whole perspective on life is to get drunk on the Holy Spirit. See, Paul talked about getting drunk on the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't saying get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine. Do not allow this external influence that inhibits your ability to think and to have self-control, but instead take this uh, external influence in your life that is able to give you discernment and understanding and wisdom. See, that's the contrast. That is what Paul is saying. Don't take things that take you down. Take things that will build you up. That's the contrast that is happening here. And we also need to understand that the Greek uh, for be filled with the Spirit is actually better translated, but really terrible uh, grammatically, uh, but is better translated be being filled with the Spirit. There is this continual filling of the Spirit that we are meant to be going after. Uh, we're supposed to be pursuing this constant filling. However, uh, what we also need to understand is that the Greek doesn't actually have the word uh, uh, with in it, in this sentence. Um, it's saying, be filled, spirit. Um, and the connotation of the construction of this sentence in the Greek is meant to be, we are being filled with what the spirit wants to fill us with. Be filled with, the um, Holy Spirit is the source uh, of what we need. So we are going to the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so um, that's, that's what we're supposed to understand. So what does the Holy Spirit want to fill us with? And this is something that I think is a theme in the book of Ephesians, um, uh, where Paul has written many times already uh, that God wants to give us the fullness of Christ, the fullness of himself. And I believe that that is linked to this. Be filled with what the Spirit wants to fill us with in terms of the Holy Spirit, uh, in terms of uh, the fullness of, of the revelation of Christ, all that God has for us, His life, His freedom. That is what we are meant to have. That's what we are meant to be uh, pursuing. Uh, so, so, so please see the importance of this. The Holy Spirit leads us to have more, uh, he, he fills us as something that we continually do. And then uh, through that, we have discernment, we have understanding, 
and we have wisdom, and that allows us to be able to be careful about how we live. That is, uh, in a nutshell, what is being said in these uh, few verses that we've just read. Now, from here, uh, Paul then goes on to say, Instead be filled with the Spirit, and verse 19, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul then, he goes on, he says, be filled with the, be being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe these things that help us to continually be filled with what God wants to fill in our life, what Holy Spirit is wanting to fill into our lives. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, one person puts it this way, we see the influence of the Holy Spirit and the continued influence of the Holy Spirit through these four actions uh, that Paul lists here. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs, singing and making music from our heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God and submitting to one another. These are four important characteristics of people that have the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Um, and, and so uh, I used to read this with a really um, individualistic kind of a perspective. Uh, yeah, I understand the whole first part, you know, uh, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, and songs. But, you know, uh, the second one is sing and make music from your heart. Lord, i done that. I, being a muso uh, uh, for many, many years, I love that. That is something I've done. I, I do that in my bedroom. Check. Giving thanks to God for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that. I say grace at every meal. You know, I, I, I do this in my personal life. And, and, and it's really easy for us to see this individual relationship uh, with what Holy Spirit is doing. However, in reading a commentary on these verses, uh, a theologian puts it this way. The whole of Ephesians is about the body of Christ. It isn't directed to personal actions between you and God. That is not what this book is written for. It is written for the mutual building of one another. There is this corporateness in these actions that we are meant to remember when we read this particular book. And so we are meant to speak to one another corporately with psalms, hymns, and songs. Why does it say speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs? Well, the understanding in the biblical world is that psalms, hymns, and songs are full of theological understanding. In fact, I came to learn this the other day that the book of Psalms uh, was actually constructed after the Israelites came back from exile. And the person that put it together was putting together poems and songs that were particularly helping the people of Israel to remember and to learn about the God of Israel. It is a book of helping people remember theology. That's what the book of Psalms was originally constructed for. It's not just this nice flowery book. It's this book that helps us to understand God. And so speak to one another with Psalms, hymns, and um and, and songs, and, th and that's honestly, as uh, our band, we try to choose songs that are right, theologically speaking, and, and help us to carry the message that we are trying to bring on a week-to-week -week basis. But then, Paul then says, sing and make music from your heart to, to the Lord. And so he also acknowledges, while we are speaking the truth, we are, we are thinking the truth, we are also connecting our emotions with it. Our heart and our mind are important in corporate worship. Yeah, 
Do you see that? Do you see how important it is? And it goes on to say, always giving thanks. We talked about the importance of thanksgiving last week, about how it helps us refocus our lives toward God. And so we get this picture of this singing and thanksgiving that takes place corporately because of the influence of the Holy Spirit and also to help us make room to continue to be filled with what the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with. And I want to just pause here and say, guys, church, we need to do this well. We need to come to our Sunday gatherings where one of the express purposes is to sing and to worship God through song. But this is not for you individually. This is for us as a body. There are some Sundays um, where, you know, maybe it's cold, maybe it's... um, You don't feel the music. You don't feel the songs. And so you go, okay, you know what? Maybe God's not really speaking to me. God might not be speaking to you because you're doing okay in that area. But there might be someone else in that room who needs to hear the body of Christ together singing and declaring his praises and giving thanksgiving where appropriate. It is something that lives the faith of people. I know that there have been moments in my life where I've been feeling uh, maybe discouraged or, 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 or maybe feeling a little bit low and I'm in this um, uh, church gathering and people are singing songs and I'm not feeling, I, I'm feeling Uh, I'm hearing how people are singing with their heart, with their emotions. I hear the words that are declaring and something rises up in me because I see the faith that is in the room. Can I say that there is no room for people... um, Maybe I'm not going to put it that way. That was probably a little bit too black and white. But I think there is room in our gatherings for us to corporately build an atmosphere of faith that people can come into and be edified, be encouraged and be built up. Not because of what's happening at the pulpit or what's happening on the stage or what's happening with the band, but because the body of Christ is activated in speaking psalms, hymns and songs, singing and making music from the heart and giving thanks. And that is something that our gatherings should be so good at so we can continue to mature. We can continue to see the Holy Spirit fill us with more of what He wants to do. All right, now we're going to switch gears. And verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a really important verse because everything else goes into different parts of uh, the family and submitting to this person, submitting to that person, all of that kind of stuff. But we need to remember that Paul first said, submit to one another. And why do we submit to one another? Not because the other person necessarily deserves it or doesn't deserve it, but because we're doing this out of reverence to Christ. Everything we do, even though it is difficult, we are doing it to God, for God. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to bang on about it. And then from verse 22 all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, what happens is that this is called Paul's household code. Paul's household code. 
Uh, sorry if I, this becomes a tongue twister for me. I'm going to say this word, uh, this phrase household code a few more times. I'm probably going to butcher it at some point. Uh, but Paul's household code has uh, arisen and brought up a lot of debate in theological circles. There are two main ways to read this. One way is to read the household code and say Paul was trying to establish that this is the hierarchy that exists in God's kingdom. It is godly to see this kind of uh, authority structure and 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 um, uh, yeah, authority structure. Uh, I actually believe that that is a bad or inaccurate reading of what Paul is saying in this passage. But at the same time, I'm also humbly going to say uh, that people way more learned than myself um, read it in that way. But I want to present to you a way of reading this household code in a way that I, I feel uh, it makes a lot more sense and, and fits a lot more in uh, with the rest of the Bible, but also just the rest of uh, this letter that Paul wrote. And basically, what we need to understand is that we need to take Paul's household code and we need to see how it differs from other household codes that were written around the same time. See, household codes were not uncommon. Paul didn't invent them. He was actually just borrowing uh, this way of expressing things that was reasonably common amongst philosophers of the Greco-Roman time. Um, Aristotle, for example, wrote one of these household codes. And so Paul writes this, and there's actually... Now, I didn't read it all. I, I had to read other commentaries and, and, and how people did the work of comparing it. And uh, it was actually really interesting to read how uh, Paul uses this code, but he then radically puts in information that is, uh, uh, that is so subversive um, uh, to the culture of the day. One key thing that I'm going to point out right here now is that ancient household codes in the Greco-Roman culture never mentions or addresses any other person in the family except for the patriarch, the father, the, the husband. Uh, <coughs> uh, no other person is mentioned because they are inferior in their understanding and their mind. Women, children, inferior. I'm not going to address you. I'm not going to talk about your role because you get your role completely from your authority who is the patriarch. So I'm going to address the patriarch and the patriarch is then going to tell you what to do. And you just do that. That is how those household codes were created. And, and, and in the first place, why they created these household codes is because the philosophers understood that the household was uh, the core unit of society. There might be governments, there might be the military, there might be all of this, but people were organized, generally speaking, in households. And so uh, these philosophers wrote to the heads of these households, the leaders of these households, and told them how they were to operate. So as we read what Paul writes um, in his household code is actually fascinating. The first thing he says is, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now when we read that in modern um eyes and looks like, ooh, this looks sexist. This is terrible. There's inequality here. And um, uh, uh, it, it might look that way, but in that culture, guess who Paul's ad Paul addresses first in his household code? Wives. 
This is radical, guys. It's crazy. I already mentioned in other household codes, women do not even rate a mention. But Paul talks to wives first. And in Greek culture, that is already placing priority and dignity on women. It is a, the principle here in Paul's writing is not so much that wives should submit to husbands. He was already being subversive and placing a greater value on women than the uh, Greek Greco-Roman world did. It's crazy. And then he also says, submit yourself to your own husbands. He's not saying that women, you are uh, to submit to men. He says, women, you are, uh, wives, you're supposed to submit to your own husbands. That is uh, uh, already making things quite different here. Uh, and But then he goes on to say, for the husband's the head, uh, just as Christ is the head. And that is what, oh, oh man, what's going on here? Well, uh, I've already mentioned earlier in this series that headship in the book of Ephesians and in the Bible doesn't talk about authority. This is not an authority statement. In fact, in the Greek uh, sentence structure, it says uh, for uh, husbands are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church for Christ is the savior of the church. Okay, and so what happens here is that in Greek sentence structure, this extra information is giving clarity on, on the linkage between um, that first thought and the second thought. So uh, basically what I'm saying is that Paul is saying that Christ is the head of the church because Christ is the savior of the church. It is not Christ is the authority of the church. Christ is the leader of the church. Christ is the Lord of the church. We, Paul could have said any of those to make sure that people understood the authority of Christ and therefore the authority of men. He's saying Christ is the head of the church because he is the savior of the church. So in the same way, men, you are the head of your wives because you are the savior of your wives. Again, in our modern context, we might read that as an authority, oppressive or power play. That's not what is happening in the Bible. When we see the words that Jesus is Savior, we are supposed to immediately think of service, being a servant and sacrificial love, being a servant and sacrificial love. Wives, you submit to your husbands because he is the source of service and sacrificial love. Wow, that is radical. That is crazy. In the ancient world, no one talked about it in that way. Now, husbands as source, and you can go back to the earlier message to, to, to listen out for that a little bit more. But husband as source in that current culture, in the culture of the day, Without a patriarch in your house, you are at a severe disadvantage. Men were the ones who would be in the marketplace, making the business happen, uh, and, and in that way, providing for their families. This is uh, a Paul reminding women that, hey, this is how culture works in that day and age. And so if just because of your Christian freedom doesn't mean that culture has immediately changed, you still need to work with that. Now, I'm going to bring that back uh, a little bit later, but we need to go on. Uh, um, Paul then addresses the husbands. Now, note how long Paul writes to the husbands. 
I'm actually not going to read that out. You can read that for yourself. You can press pause. You can read the next few verses. But what I want to point out is that the way that Paul talks about the husband's role is is fascinating. One of the things that I want to point out is how uh, or the kinds of words that Paul uses. He uses the words in terms of the husband's role, cleansing, washing with water, without stain and wrinkle, to feed, to care, to nourish. These were all terms used to describe a mother's role, the wife's role. And here Paul places dignity on what women do by saying, men, your role is to do the same things. It might be in different spheres, but you are basically to do the same things. This is incredibly, incredibly important for us to understand that Paul is actually saying that women have got incredible dignity, something that no other culture, no other household code wrote for women. And so men, there's many things that we can learn about how we are to serve and to sacrificially love our wives. There's some brilliant things for us to consider. We can talk about it in the app, uh, but I'm going to move on from there. Uh, and in chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, a, a few key things here. When it says, obey your, children, your, your parents in the Lord, for this is right, it, it, it carries the connotation of, of righteous living. And children, we obey our parents because that leads to righteous living. He then, Paul then goes on to talk about honoring your father and mother, which is a first commandment with a promise, so they may go well with you. This is something in the Old Testament. And why he brings that up is because um, this is something that is very, uh, is, is wise for us. Let me show you, uh, let me explain why. I was listening to a Bible teacher uh, who spent a lot of time uh, steeping himself in Jewish history and Jewish culture. And he explained honoring parents in this way. He said, to honor your parents is to live out the best of your parents, to live out the best of your parents. You see, all of our parents in some way, shape or form has learned and received wisdom in their life. Whether they're Christian or not, you can still see and understand God's plans and purposes. Perhaps you learn it because of the opposite way that they act, but in that way you are still able to gain wisdom from them. Does that make sense? And how we then honor our parents is to live that out as best as we can. To acknowledge that the wisdom that we have lived out is partly because our parents have imparted that wisdom to us. That is how we truly, in Jewish culture and Jewish understanding, biblical understanding, honor our parents. You know, that blew my mind because, you know, growing up in Singapore, I've met many people, many friends who, who, who were discussing about how do we honor our parents. And we, we have all of this, I guess, ethnic Chinese understandings of honoring parents. Uh, 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 but in this way, I think this is fascinating that we honor our parents by learning to acknowledge and to see the best of our parents and to bring it into our lives. That is wisdom for living. 
You know, in our culture, maybe we get so used to talking about the wrong things that our parents have done, etc. Why not we try to do something biblical, hey? And let us look for the good things uh, that we can learn from our parents about wisdom, about how God uh, has made this world and His ways, and, and we can go from there. Verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Very much linked to the previous verse, I think, uh, uh, parents, we we can do this. This is something that I think is a a fantastic uh, mindset to have. Bring up our children um, uh, by training and instructing them in the Lord. All right, so we go to verse 5 and it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, for those people that are saying that this is an accurate Um, hierarchy, if you will, of how households are supposed to work, you're going to have to deal with the slave problem here, okay? So that's why I do believe that that is the wrong reading of this passage. I love that Christians were at the forefront of the abolishment of slavery. And and these verses did not speak to our Christian forefathers as we need to have slaves in order to fulfill the household code. No, no, no. It's the principle behind it. This understanding of submitting to one another, even in the way that our culture has given power to people. And so I want to come back to that point. Why is it that Paul uh, or the Bible doesn't go against culture of the day and just simply set up this new culture and say to Christians, off you go, set up this new culture because the way of the world is completely corrupt and wrong. You know, Paul didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't. And he explains himself in other scriptures that this is the grace of God, that we continue to operate in the culture of the day. We are not uh, submitting ourselves in our heart to the culture of the day. We are submitting ourselves to God who tells us to stay where we are to serve people for the sake of of the gospel. If Christians removed ourselves from uh, society, we would not be able to bring the gospel to anyone else. Now, I grew up in a Christian family, but I know many of you only received Christ because other Christians brought you uh, uh, to an understanding of who God is and what He has done. If we are separate completely, physically, uh, if in a different society, we would not be able to have the privilege of sharing the gospel. And that's why Paul tells us, yes, sometimes the structures and the hierarchies that our world sets up isn't completely in alignment with God's plan for humanity, but we can still operate in it and bring God glory. But we can take these words because I, know not, I don't think any of us are slaves, um, as far as I know at Lift Church. But we can change that word. We can see the principle here. Employees. If you're employed by someone, you have a boss. Serve them. I love that it says, uh, God will reward each one for whatever good that they do, whether they are slave or free. He's saying when we serve people, we are actually doing good. I think as Christians, we are to see that we don't have we, we, we cannot say that, that, oh, that person is really mean and not nice. Um, I'm going to continue to be employed by this person, but I'm only going to do minimum. 
I hope that that analogy makes sense. I think what God is saying is that if you are in that workplace, if you place yourself in that space, you serve and you do the best that you can do. God will reward each person for the actions, but for you, as for you, you continue to do good. You continue to serve. Do you have that attitude to your uh, workplace, to your employers? Or are you just looking to do minimum and to scrape by? Uh, because that, when you read this passage, it, it really doesn't allow that. And it, it, it is quite difficult, but I'm just trying to bring to you the Word of God uh, for you to consider for yourselves. And in verse 9, God then, uh, Paul then writes to the masters, or if you will in today's day and age, uh, bosses. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both a master and yours in have, is in heaven and has there's no favoritism in him. So Paul addresses all of these people. Now, this is called a household code because the household in Greco-Roman culture uh, included all of these people. And so we need to understand that in our modern context, when we talk about a household, uh, uh, it's, it's very small. It's immediate family. is is maybe mom, dad, and a couple of kids. However, back then, a household wasn't just a family, uh, but it was this group of people that lived literally together, um, and they actually became a, 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 a um, unit of production within society. The, the, the business was conducted in households. You, know, uh, you could be a household of fishermen, uh, or you, you're a household of farmers, you're a household of manufacturers of some description. That is what will happen. A whole household would be engaged in the one economic activity together. So when we look at that, maybe what we need to understand is that when not to use our rigid understanding of wives, husbands, slaves, masters, kids, but rather maybe let's use a lens of a community code, a code for the community of people living together and working together. Maybe this is something that we can learn for from for our church. What is our community code? Do we have this understanding that we are meant to sacrificially uh, serve and love one another? Do we have this understanding that this is a space where we can gain wisdom uh, from one another, that we honor one another, that we give our best for one another? Because that is what this community code should be speaking to us today. So the challenge that I want to leave you with from this passage is this. What part of this code can you bring, the principles in this code, can you bring into your life and action out this week? These are meant to be highly practical instructions for everyday Christian living. Not just for Sundays, not just when you are pretending to be Christian. No, 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 no. This is about my life. This is about my new humanity and we are meant to live it out. Come, let me just pray for you um, and we'll close from there. Um, dear God, I pray that you help us to see the importance of community, the importance of coming together, the importance of living together, and the way that we are meant to live with each, each other. I pray that you help us to, uh, uh, to see how we can live out this community code that you have given to us this week. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you have a great Sunday. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.